Father, we thank you that we have this incredible opportunity to just be able through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to enter into your presence because we've set Christ before our face in Psalm 16 and verse 8. We have to set Christ before our face so that we can enter into your presence in Psalm 16, 11, and see the fullness of the joy that you have in this beautiful expression, this love life exchange between the Father and the Son. And this we can enter into, and we will for all eternity. But even now, we have this opportunity to experience the counsel and the depth of his love and his word as he has given us his Son and given us the Holy Spirit for those things to be our actual deliverance based upon our position. So, Father, we are before you. I am before you. And we're asking you with our hearts and minds, everything about us extended to you with great expectation, knowing that we can do nothing of ourselves in John 15, 5. But we just want to wait here in Psalm 62 and verse 5. You teach us to wait, to wait. Because from you comes what we expect. Thank you that prayer this morning is not something that believers do. Pray hard enough to maybe make something come true that we desire. That's not prayer, but prayer is just simply entering into his presence feasting on him while he reveals Christ to us and we rest in him. And then it's his timing and his provision that brings to us that joy that he has with us in Christ because of Christ being in us. And so we have this great expectation. We can trust you in Psalm 62 and verse 8 at all times, at all times. And we can pour out our heart to you. We don't pour out our heart to you with doubt and with fear. But we pour our heart out to you. Our, everything about our soul, it's five parts. We pour it out to you with great expectation. Because we can trust in your love for us. The timing and your provision for everything in our life is fixed. And the fixedness of your eternal mind. And so, Father, just we just thank you so much for this privilege that we have this morning to just enter into your presence as we face Christ in our own individuality. Just thank you so much, Lord. And uh, we uh, we want to be here so that you can you can be known in all of us so we can experience it. And all your glory, and when you're glorified in us, when we're resting in your love, you're able to express through the knowledge of who you are your incredible glory. And then we're blessed. And then we, in turn, without anything of the flesh, can be blessed and, you, and be used as a blessing for others. So thank you for this word this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this morning in my own time with the Lord as he counsels me and gives me his counsel. The Psalm 16, verse 6, the psalmist there said that the lines have fallen out unto me in pleasant places. Of course, the pleasant place is that place that the father has with his son and his son has with the father. And that pleasure that they have has been given to us experience. In this time that we are living in right now, in this world system where Jesus was, he was in it in John 17 and verse 14, but he was never of it. He was never of this world system, ever. Not one thought, not one word, not one step had anything to do with this world system. In John 17 and verse 16, and neither are we of this world. And so in this world 
through the usurpation, through God's plan, through the usurpation of the enemy, has brought this world system and bringing it into its final course. But right now, with such chaos and such change and such violence and such doubts and fears, but God would have us, those that are in Christ, to be fixed. I thought of that verse when I sat here this morning and I said, God, I need your counsel. I don't have anything in and of myself, but I'm going to turn away from myself and look to you, Lord. Look to you. So I'm going to face Christ. And as I face Christ and he faces me, I can have a reality that even in the midst of all this change, he brought this, these verses to me in Psalm 57 and verse 7. In Psalm 108 and verse 1, the psalmist said this, in the midst of all his trouble, and this was a psalm that was beautifully being written by David. It's called a mictum. A mictum psalm is a golden psalm because it's revealing the deity of Christ, the deity in his plan, in his son, in and through us and to us. And so he was writing this psalm. God was giving him this counsel as he was fleeing from Saul where he was in the cave of Adullam in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. He said in Psalm 57 and verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings will I take refuge until the destruction passes by. This is what makes it necessary for us to ha have a prayer life. The prayer life always speaks of dependence, not repeating certain prayers to try and make something happen. Prayer always is depending, is depending on God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when the enemy in Isaiah 59 and verse 19 comes in like a flood, then the Lord is able to lift up his standard against us. And the way that he does that is he has to bring us into a place of dependence so that he can lift up that standard. He said, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes what? All things for me. Job was learning this in the midst of his trials. In Job 23 and verse 14, this is what it says. He performs the thing that he requires. We're not to pray, to think that not, uh, if we pray enough and we believe enough, we can make God do something or make something happen. No. No. He performs the thing that he requires. And this requires dependence. God was teaching us recently, we, and in this particular sense, about humility. And who deserves who merits to be humbled by God? You see, if God humbles us, it's because he wants his love that can only flow through grace to meet us. Who deserves to be humbled? Nobody. Without him humbling us and giving us his son, he could have left us where we were, but that's not God's thought. You know, God's not going to leave you in what you think, our, and you and I may think, in the midst of our circumstances, the situations, ourselves, our, our loved ones, our family members, or our friends. He's not going to leave us there. He has a timing and provision for everything. In Genesis 18 and verse 14, is anything too hard for God? I mean, honestly, is anything too hard for God that he hasn't already accomplished through his son? No, to God, in Psalm 57, verse 2, I'm going to cry unto most, the Most High God. To God who accomplishes what? All things for me in his great love. 
when my enemies come against me, not only my own, but when I see the enemies coming against my family members, when I see the enemy coming against my friends, the local assembly, believers throughout all the world, what's happening in Israel, what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in worldwide, what do I see? When I cry unto the Most High God, the God who accomplishes all things for me, He will send from heaven and He will deliver me. He will deliver me. He'll save me. He reproaches Him who tramples upon me. Who tramples upon me. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if they hate you, you know they hated me first. You know that. I want you to know that. But here we are. David in the midst of intense suffering. He's fleeing. He's running from Saul who's trying to take his life through jealousy, through hatred and violence and jealousy. But God will send forth his tender, compassionate, loving kindnesses with his truth. He said, my soul is among the lions. Well, we know in type and the lion is Satan in 1 Peter 5. In verse 8, we need to cast all our anxiety upon him. You know, sometimes we think that we think prayers we, we think prayers are hard. We think we have to make enough prayers to make God's, uh, uh, for him to make something happen that we desire for him to do about a certain thing. And what are they caused? Is there any irritation in God's grace? Is there any suspicion in his love? No, 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 no. He said, my soul is among the lions. What's that mean? That the enemy wants to devour us through the details of life. You'll see that in Matthew, the sixth chapter. The 34 verses, see how they flow. It starts out with a prayer life. The prayer life, dependence on him, keeps out the details from interfering with our intimacy in him and resting in him in the accomplishment of his will, which is fulfilled through Jesus Christ in John 4. And verse 34, he said, my soul is among the lions. Cast all your care upon him. All your anxiety. That, that, those prayers that seem to be anxious. Pray so it happens. Let's pray and pray hard enough so it happens. No, let's rest in his love and watch him accomplish that thing. That ex far exceeds and goes far beyond what we could ever even imagine in, in Ephesians 3 and verse 19. This has to do with ourselves. This has to do with your family members that are in Christ, every single one of them. It has to do with us, our family members. It has to do with every single detail. If I understand in Matthew 10 and verse 30 and Luke 12 and verse 7, that every single hair on our head is numbered, every one. How, how careful is God in his love for us? I wonder what it says in Psalm 37 and verse 23. The steps of a man that are established in God's good are ordered and set up of the Lord, and it's a path. In Proverbs 4 and verse 18, that is lit up. That is lit up through the darkness and chaos and confusion of this world system as we are on our way with him for our eternal face-to-face, -face, eternal face-to-face -face meeting with him where love will be expressed between him and us in Revelations 2 and verse 17. And nothing of time, nothing of failure, nothing of a disturbance or a distraction is, will ever be involved in that again. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. Cast all your care, your anxiety upon him, you know, because he does care for you. Because we have an adversary. He's as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may rip to shreds and slaughter down whole. How? How does he do that with the Christian? How does he do that? With detailed, simple details of life. Where am I going to live? How much food am I going to have? What about all these other things? Hasn't he, in Matthew 10 and verse 28, and Luke 12 and verse 27, does he clothe 
the fields with grass does he feed the sparrows? And not one ever even falls to the ground without his acknowledgement. Now we are far worth, far more than any sparrow ever could be. We have an adversary. He wants to come in and slaughter us with his thoughts and try to convince us that there are thoughts and that that's how God thinks about us. When God never thinks outside of the unbelievable pleasure and satisfaction and rest that the Father and Son have in each other with Christ in us, that same rest. Can you imagine? God calls us to rest in his Son because in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17, he rests in his love for us. Oh, how he loves us through his Son. You can trust God for yourself. I can. Trust in the Lord with all your mind. You won't lean unto your own understanding. That that the enemy tries to convince you that it's your thoughts. And then by the thoughts that he wants to have be established in us in the place of the grace that, that and truth that Christ is in Hebrews 13, 9, he wants, the enemy wants to replace that with what he wants to convince us is God's thoughts towards us. No, I'm not going to do something for you because you did this or you did that. You know, Jesus took care of all of that. He took care of that on Calvary. He did. He took every one of our cries. You know, you read the Psalms. You read the Psalms. And they cry out to him. And those that are afflicted, in Psalm 34 and verse 18, in Psalm 51 and verse 17, he hears your cry. Because it says, before I was afflicted, in Psalm 119 and verse 67, I went astray. But his affliction brought me to him, to cry to him outside of myself, outside of self-help, self-hope. Prayers that have to do with trying to, trying to make God do something that I see by sight, when everything about his plan for us is settled in eternity and being revealed to us now, we can rest in his love. We can rest in him. He wants us to rest in, his, in the love of his son. That's Colossians 1 and verse 13. He's transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the rest of his dear son. Well, I can trust God. What can he not be trusted for? Having already given us all things in Romans 8.32, what can we not trust him for? Not one single thing. He said, my soul is among the lions. I must lie among, among those who breathe fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are, are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Why do we, as believers, that are the church right now, the church, we are his church, Matthew 16, 18. We are his body in Ephesians 5, 30. We are his bride in Revelations 19, 7, and 9. We are. But why should we go back to the Psalms? Because we get uh, all kinds of comfort from here. Because these Psalms, in the positive sense, are all written in the spirit of Christ himself. All of them, in the positive sense. Verse 6, they have prepared. Your, let your glory, in verse 5, verse 5, be exalted above the heavens, O God. Is he not? Is Christ not exalted above everything? Are we not exalted in him already, positionally? 1 Peter 5, 6. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Who's the mighty hand of God? It's Christ in the midst of you, in the midst of your circumstance and situation, situations, in the midst of the details of life, in the midst of your family members. Your family members. You, can, you and I can bring them into his presence. We can. And put them right where they belong in his care. 
put them right and just rest in his love towards them, towards ourselves, towards them. Because his plan is perfect in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. His ways are perfect. They're every one of them. We see this clearly, how perfect they are in Psalm 18 and verse 30, and it brings us into verse 35. We see that, and when we see him in the midst of our circumstances and our situations, and he wants us to face Christ in the intimacy of his love for us, so that what do we see? He's for us. He's nothing but for us. He's nothing but love towards us. Nothing but that. And no thought of his is outside of that. Whatever you and I rely on, and this is what the enemy desires for us, is even enter into a prayer life where we try to make things happen. And, and, and then just entering into it ignorantly through the works of the flesh. Whatever we rely on that is not of Christ, the enemy uses to keep us from him, to keep us from his intimate love for us. And that's why we can go back here. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture, not some, not portions of it. It's one whole, one whole organic union. It is the very word of God. It is Christ himself in John 1, 1. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture is God breathed. God is breathing out the satisfaction of his son through his son towards us, because he's in us, by the power, and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will be exalted, because he is exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. This is above every detail in the Christian's life. In the Christian's life. God always puts us in a place where we must rely on him. You know, many of us, Many of us have been given the light of the Word of God. Many of us. If we even start in Revelations chapter 3, verses 8 to 13, the church of Ephesus, that's Ephesians' truth, you know. That's all that Ephesians' truth in the epistle of Ephesians. And Jesus himself is speaking it. And he said, I have set an open door before you and no man can close it. Do you know and do I know with you that God's plan cannot be hindered? Because it's finished in Christ and it's finished for each of us. We don't have to doubt him for a thing. Even in the thing that we allow, God forbid, but even when we do, we allow sin and failure in our life. Is God condemning us in Romans 14? In verse 22, no happy is the man that condemns not himself in the thing that he allows. And he that doubts is damned if he eat because he eats not of faith. He's not feeding on Christ. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Is sin. And so he says here that they have prepared a net for my steps, the enemy prepares a net to trip us up through thought force, through his thoughts that he wants to, us to convince that there are thoughts and then to convince us that's how God thinks about us. He's not doing this because I did this or I didn't do that. We have to be separated from self-conscious thinking. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the word of the Lord is living, powerful. There's a reason in 2 Timothy 1.7, where it says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. You fearing our prayers, some prayers the result of fear? That something might not happen? That God might hold something back from you or a family member or a friend or anybody in Christ? Has he held back anything? Well, Romans 8.32 makes that crystal clear having already given us his best in Hebrews 1 and verse 4. Will he not with him, in Romans 8, 32, freely, graciously give us all things? But can we receive anything until we rest? You know, we do have light, many of us. We have a lot of understanding. Now, when we look at Revelations 3, 8 
chapter 13, we see there that they had light. And in little measure, they were functioning in it. But you know what came out of the Church of Philadelphia is, is unfortunately where we are right now. And believe me, wherever we are right now, we're not without him being in us. But what came out of that Church of Philadelphia with all that Ephesians truth in Revelation 3, 8 to 13 came out, Revelation 3, 14 to 22, the Church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea had light. They had understanding. They understood that. They understand and measure positional truth. Look what they went after. Look what became their thoughts. It all had to do with the details of life. So the replacement of the intimacy of his love that they would leave. In, in, in Revelation 2 and verse 4. He builds them up with the Ephesian truth that they have, the church at Ephesus. He built them up. You have all this truth. And it's flowed down through the centuries. You have all of this, and I commend you for that. But you know this one thing, and it's not somewhat. I have this strongly against you. Because you've allowed something to come in and replace your first love. First love means this. That we don't give him first place. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. Before we were ever born. Before we could ever think. Before we ever entered into the process of growth and grace. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. Through humility in 1 Peter 5, 6. Through humility in James 4 and verse 6. He was Lord, sovereign above all. Sovereign. You see the word reign there. He is sovereign. And that's why there's no spot in us. In Song of Solomon 4 and verse 7. You're all fair, my love. In my love, my son, there's no spot in you. So look from the top. In Song of Solomon 4 and verse 8. Look from the top. He said, the psalmist David was saying, as he was fleeing, he said, my soul is bowed down. They dug a pit. Before me, a pit of noise, a pit of thoughts. Psalm 40 and verse 2. This is clearly bringing out Christ. Clearly. And God did hear his cry. God did deliver him from a pit of noise. And he's delivered us from a pit of noise. A pit of destruction. What is that for the believer? It's a pit of noise. Doubt. Fear. Anxiety. I want something to happen based upon sight, based upon personal choice. Let God do the choosing. He never makes mistakes. And by the way, what he has for us in Christ, spiritually first, but in every detail, is already chosen and fixed in him. Immovable. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Isn't that interesting? The enemy falls in the very pit that, they, that the enemy tried to function for us. I remember sharing this recently. I shared it with, with my dear friend Barbara. I think it was yesterday in, in a private talk that we had, which I really love the exchange that God has given us through the years. It's been incredible. And of course, anyone that has had the chance to fellowship with her, knows what that's like. Knows what that's like. In Psalm 23 and verse 1, the Lord my shepherd I won't lack. No, he causes me. He does all of that. Let's read it together in Psalm 23. Because this is what Christ has accomplished. Is the Lord our shepherd? In John 10. The 10th chapter, in those, even in those 27 verses, is he not our shepherd? Is Christ not still shepherding us? Is he not? Does he not still go before us in everything? Before we face the thing, hasn't he already gone before it? In Psalm 68 and verse 7, does he not still guide us? In Psalm 23 and verse 2, and we'll read it. 
In Psalm 48 and verse 14, he's our guide unto our death. And our death in Ecclesiastes 7.1 is just the door to eternity with him. <laughs> no more voices of doubt and fear. The world is filled with them now. In 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12. And none of them are without significance. But we have one voice because we have one shepherd. And he always has to bring us back to that. Does he not still lead us? In Psalm 23 and verse 4. And Jeremiah 50 and verse 19. Does he not still cause us to look away from all that would distract as he leads us unto Jesus in Hebrews 12 too? And he leads us to places of rest by, by the waters of cleansing in John chapter 10 verses 4 to, to 10. Doesn't he carry us little ones? Does he? Does he carry? Is he carrying your family members? Those that are that are born again, those that you desire to be. Is he carrying them? Yeah, the same way he's carrying us, John 21 and verse 18, he's going to carry us to places that have to do with rest and thoughts of his love that are beyond what we could even think apart from him. That's John 21, 18. That's Isaiah 40, verse 11. He carries us little ones close to his heart and he gently leads the mother sheep. He does this. He protects it with his staff. Let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is the Lord, my shepherd. I'll never lack a thing. He causes me in the gentleness of his love to lie down, rest in his love, and pastures, tender, compassionate, Green grass. It's been said scientifically that green is the most restful, easiest color for the eye to take in. Speaks of mercy and, and grace. He leads me besides quiet waters of his rest that cleanses me from anything that interferes with it. Again in John 10, 4 through 10. He restores my soul. Not only about me, and it's very important, but about my loved ones, my family members. They're in his care. He didn't give them in my care any more than he gave me him myself in my care. They're in his care. And he's going to lead me in a place to show me that. Your loved ones struggling, Christ is with them. When they fall, when I fall, when they fall, are his arms underneath in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27? Does he love them with a love that will never let them go? Hashak, H-A-S-H-A-Q, the Hebrew word. He loves us with a love that will never let us go. No, not your family members. No, the unsaved, he'll give them every single opportunity. He's not willing that they would ever perish. You can rest in that. I can rest in it with you for our family members, our loved ones, what's going on in the world. All the cries of those that were brutalized in that October 7th attack, the precious women, men, women, little children, they, they cried. Oh, he heard them. You sure of that? That might have been their only opportunity to cry out to him. What the enemy means for evil. In Genesis 50 and verse 20, God means for good, the good of his sons. Well, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his very namesake, his very nature and what he's accomplished through Christ. And even though I walk through, I don't settle down in this world system. Look at it. Chaos, violence, Genesis 6, 11. How close are we to our precious Lord's second advent, which, which is only follows the rapture. Matthew 24 and verse 37. Verse 36, as it was in the days of Noah, 36 and 37. 
so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. We see, I see it. You see prophecy being fulfilled. But we keep our eye on our precious Savior, the light that's dawning in us. And I want to go back to this thought. This is for us in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19 and 20 and 21. We all have a more certain word of prophecy. The day dawning, the light dawning on us. Listen, we all have that light. They had the light in the church of, of, of uh, Philadelphia. They had the light, and it says they had a little strength, which means they had the power. But the Laodicean church came out of that. They had light, but they don't have power. They don't have deliverance. That's missing. It's missing. Everything's about the earth. It's missing. Everything's about now and time. It's missing. The eternal realities is missing. Our precious deliverance is missing. It's missing. But not in him. And truly not in us. The Laodicean church. They had the light. But they didn't have power to deliver them from the things of this earth. Those things that are... Those things in 1 John 2 and verse 15, love not the world. Love not the world. Don't replace, don't allow what's happening in this world system. In terms of prophecy, affect your love. And neither the things that are in the world. Do you desire something? Do you desire something? Is it replacing your desire for him? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man has what he would call a love for the world, it would only be lust. You see, anything outside the, the perfect provision of God's plan and the love of his son could only be a lust pattern. We think we need something to continue. He's already supplied all of our needs in Philippians 4 and verse 19. And that's why in Philippians 4 and verse 13, you and I in him, with him and us, can do all things as we submit to the word and not become just doers, not just hearers of the word, because that's what light is. We heard it and we received the light, but do we have the power? He has to make us weak. He has to reduce us to be weak so that we stop looking to the things of the world. Stop looking for them and keep our eye on him. That's what it means to be fixed in Psalm 57 and verse 7. Psalm 108 and verse 1, he said to me this morning, Ed, I want your heart to be fixed. I want it to be nailed. You see, my son in Isaiah 22 and verse 22, he's the key to everything. And he's the key that will open the door because he himself is the door. And when he opens it, no man can shut it. When he shuts it, no man can open it. If it be of God, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. I believe this is Acts 5, verse 39. You cannot stop God. You see that in, in Acts 5, verse 34 to 39. You cannot do it. You can't do it. You cannot stop God. You cannot stop God. We can fall short even in what we know. The reason we do is because we don't have the power. We don't have the power because we don't want to be made weak and rely on him and dependent upon him for everything. He said, my heart is fixed. That's what David said when he was fleeing from Saul, fleeing from all his enemies, doubt, fear, insecurity, worry about family members, wasted energy, wasting the love for us that we, we had and then turn away. And get distracted in Hebrews 12 too. And lose energy. Through the intimacy of his love for us. He said, my, my heart is fixed, O Lord. My heart is fixed. We'll finish it this morning. And even though I walk through. We're walking through here as strangers and pilgrims. In 1 Peter 2.11. Through the valley. Of the shadow of death, because that's all it is. James 1.17, every good gift 
and every perfect gift, complete gift, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. No, neither shadow of turning. I fear no evil. I fear no evil. Do we fear evil? Do we fear any harm? Is there any fear in love? In 1 John 4 and verse 18? No. When you're weak and when I'm weak and, I, and I'm frail, when we cry and tears are a language that God has given through his word to us many times, tears are a language that speak volumes. Tears. He's heard your tears. He's seen them. He's seen your tears for yourself about your failure, about your doubt, about your fear, about your family members, about your loved ones. He's seen mine. He's seen yours. And he's bottled them in Psalm 56 and verse 9. He's bottled them. Every single one. So cry out to him. Read the Psalms. Cry to him. And trust him. And rest in his love. I will fear no evil. No, because as he is, Christ is right now in First John 4, 7, so are we in this world. And there is no fear in love. Because his love that's completed everything. That's our eternity and the details of life. He's completed everything about us in the perfection of his love through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit for us to experience. We need to experience it. You see, we can have light. We can know what to do. We can. But to try and do it in ourselves we can't. We have to have power. That has to have the flesh crucified in us. Galatians 2.20 I am. Oh, wow. I am crucified with him. Jesus was crucified. And we were crucified in him on that cross. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Just think of that. He's living in us. He's a life-giving force in us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I now live in this human body, I live by the faith dependence of God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And thereby, I don't frustrate or receive something in vain that's empty and that doesn't have to do with his love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. And you will never leave me nor forsake me. No. Nope. Hebrews 13, 5. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Nope. Do you want something? You must wait. And I must wait for God's perfect timing. He's heard our cries. Read Daniel 10, 1 to 13. He's heard our prayers. But he had to wait 21 days because God's timing brings out the perfection of his provision. He knows when to give us what we need, when we need it, and not a second soon. He doesn't miss, he doesn't fall short. Our, our head, it's perfect. It's established. It's a good thing for then our minds in Hebrews 13, 9, to be established in the grace that Christ is. And he wants to establish us and cause us to be fixed in the midst of our trials that make us bring out the gold. In Job 23 and verse 10, he has to bring us to a place where we esteem his word more than the necessary details of life. In Job 23 and verse 12. And then he brings us into a place when we receive that word through dependence, through self, being brought into a place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. He can bring us into a place now through that word that we receive and become dependent upon. That's his son, his name, his nature, character, and essence, his person that has finished everything about us in John 19 and verse 30. And then he performs the thing that only he requires. All our requirements are met by Jesus Christ, not by us. Do you desire something for yourself, for your family, your loved ones that are born again? Well, faithful is he who calls you. 
to trust him for, who will also do it. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 24, well, he said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How does God comfort me? And he brought this out to me so beautifully this morning that I want your heart to be fixed on this and I want you to understand this. I want you to personally understand this and God wants us to personally understand this, that when the, the shepherd had a rod, it was a club to beat away any enemy that would touch his sheep. And then he had a staff. So God's love protects us from our enemies. And this is where the power of Christ in 1 Peter 1, 5, Christ the, Christ, we are kept by the power of God. And Christ himself in 1 Corinthians 1 and 24 is that power that gives us wisdom so that love flows through grace. I don't have to try. I just sit, rest, and receive and watch what only he can do. Stand still, he said to Moses and the millions of Jews that he, he led to the Red Sea out of their captivity, out of their bondage, out of their fears, out of desires that weren't his. He led them to the Red, the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea. He said, stand still, rest in my love, and then you're going to see my deliverance. For the battle is the Lord's, it's not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And when it is, we go forward in John 14, uh, in Exodus 14 and verse 15, we go forward. Why? Because we have a shepherd that goes before us. He's leading us. He guides us. He leads us. He carries us. He protects us. He uses the club, the word, to club away our enemies. And he uses the staff. And the staff was a long thing. And many he would use, the shepherd would use his staff as he would whistle because they only heard his whistle, his voice. He would use his staff to call them into a place of protection, the pen. And he would take that staff and lower it so that the sheep had to humble themselves so that God could care for any injuries, so the shepherd could care for any injuries that the sheep may have sustained, so that they could go in and rest in his love. But also it had a crook on the end of it, and he has to use that to trip us. And this is his loving, loving, loving chastisement and discipline. In Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, he, he loves and disciplines every single one with his love. And he uses that. And that also is how he measures us by himself. And that was that rod of authority that he told Moses to use. To turn the sea into blood and to do all those miracles. They all had to do with Christ. He said, I will fear no evil for you're with me and I will never leave you nor forsake you, Joshua 1, 5. Never. I'm with you, I'm with you to the end in Matthew, end of the age in Matthew 28, verse 20 and in Hebrews 13, 5. Your rod and your staff. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You see the comfort? You see the comfort that we get? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The thing that I was describing with Barbara is, here's a picture of all these provisions that he's given the individual here. And then the enemy's chasing him and running after him. And he flees into the tent of God's presence, his place of refuge. And he flees there. What does God have waiting for him? Condemnation? accusation that comes from the enemy who's chasing him no he's got a table a place of fellowship a place of feasting on christ he has a table and the enemy has to stop short of that and look in and watch what god is doing the evil angels have to do that but the but the Unfallen angels in 1 Peter 1.12, they learn about God's nature and character and essence through the depth of his love for you and I, his church. Through the depth of it. 
You have anointed my head with oil. This is the Holy Spirit that's been given to us in John 14, 16, and 17. He's given us the Holy Spirit in John 14, at John 16, verses 13 and 14, that takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup is overflowing. Oh, John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come that they might have life. God gives us the life that Christ is in us. In Colossians 3 and verse 4 and 1 John 5 and verse 11, that eternal life that Christ is in us. But the cup is overflowing because he not only wants to glorify himself in us, but use us as a blessing to others for him to be glorified in them. And what a privilege that is. My cup overflows. Oh, only goodness and tender, compassionate, loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then in closing here again, I just want to read again here. David's psalm. He wrote Psalm 23, but he also wrote Psalm 57. When he said, my soul is among lions. First Peter 5, 8. Who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are, are spears and as arrows, men functioning under Satan. But, but be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. You see the thoughts of the enemy? He says, my heart is, is steadfast. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. I will do this. Why? For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. What a privilege we have. What a beautiful blessing that we have in him. Thank God for the greatness of his love. And Father, we do thank you for the greatness of your love, for the height of where you brought us into the preciousness of your son. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.